Hey, this is Dan Wonderlich from Defining Grace. And welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. I hope you had an amazing Christmas season and a wonderful New Year celebration. And to kick off this new year, my guest today is Brent Gambrell. He's the president of Brent Gambrell Ministries, and he's the author of a new book called Living for Another, More of Others, Less of You. This book released last fall, but I wanted to have Brent on here to start off the new year because no doubt people in your congregation are making New Year's resolutions, and you may even be preaching a sermon series about self-improvement. Well, Brent is here to talk to us about the difference between self-improvement and self-centeredness and to remind us that one of Jesus' main calls on our lives is to live for one another. Well, my guest today is Brent Gambrell. He's the president of Brent Gambrell Ministries, and he's the author of a new book called Living for Another, More of Others, Less of You. Brent, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Man, I'm excited to be here, buddy. Thank you for having me. Why don't we begin by having you tell us a little bit about yourself as well as your ministry and its context? Well, uh, I've been traveling as a speaker for a couple of, couple of, almost three decades now, uh, uh, you know, went from church staff to traveling and speaking and uh, began a ministry in the country of Haiti about 15 years ago. And um, so about about two-thirds of my work happens in Haiti, and, and one-third of the work happens uh, all over the United States and kind of kind of a few places in the rest of the world as well. And, and we teach people their identity in Christ. We teach them all kinds of things as we travel. We teach people their, their, their purpose in life. And... Um, no, nobody's an expert on it, but we, but we try our best to do what God calls us to do. So, Yeah, absolutely. Can you share with us how you first got connected with Haiti? Well, I was actually drugged there kicking and screaming. Um, I, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm the most un- reluctant missionary in the whole world. <laughs> um, people say, so you're a missionary. And I go, no, I don't look good in khaki. I don't have a pith <laughs> helmet. Um, you know, that, that was what I said for yeah. years. A buddy of mine's family actually began began a ministry about 30 years ago. It was starting to slow down. They needed some help. He begged me for years to come because I was a speaker and I could speak out for the organization. And I, I said no for two years, finally said yes, showed up there, fell madly in love. I got angry at God and said, God, why did you bring me here? Because mm. it devastated my heart. Yeah. Fell in love with the people and hated the place, hated that it existed. And and but God said, you know what? You can't do everything, but you can help this village, this one, and that's where it began. And so um, during the earthquake, uh, we were on the ground. We were in fact the, the, the very first plane at the airport was our little private uh, plane. A buddy of mine, who's an incredible giver, uh, said, "Get get there and help these people." And so we arrived that night, and. Um, our ministry um, since the earthquake has been uh, the devastating earthquake there of 2010 um, has really expanded to build homes in Haiti, and we we build homes and we undergird schools and churches. So um, it has been uh, it's been a labor of love ever since um, I first arrived there. And God said, Brent, this isn't about you. This is about what you can do. Mm. So, what are some of the misconceptions that you think the average person might have about Haiti? Uh, that Haiti's dangerous. I take I, we take eighteen groups a year or more, uh, of thirty to fifty people sometimes, and and that that Haiti is just it's just going to be dirty and dangerous. And and I ask people at the end of the week, hey, did did you feel in danger at any point? And they said no. Um, it's it's the people are the sweetest people in the entire world. They're a desperate people, but they're they're wonderful culture. It's a very warm culture. Mm. 
um, and that Haiti's beautiful. Um, Haiti's um, is both tragic and beautiful. There's a paradox there. Uh, you see massive poverty, and it's, I always say it's schizophrenic a day because you'll cry for a minute, you'll laugh, and you'll be <laughs> in awe of the beauty of the place. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, you shared that a good bit of your ministry and even what might have originally helped bring you to Haiti was your uh, ministry as a speaker. Can you tell us a little bit about your call to preaching and um, how you ended up as a traveling preacher as opposed to a local church pastor? Because I know that our audience has has tons and tons of pastors who are listening. There are probably also some traveling speakers, but there may also be some pastors in our audience who feel like they're called more to the traveling and speaking and just ended up in a local church because they thought that was the only option if they wanted to preach. Can you tell us a little bit about your history with preaching and speaking? Sure. I, uh, I actually was um, on staff at a, a large church in Nashville um, for about seven years um, and didn't have, a, didn't have a fat clue what I was doing. I was discipled there for about seven years by an incredible pastor and staff in Nashville and, um, and really didn't, didn't even know that this was an option. Um, I began traveling um, because um, used to write comedy sketches actually for um, our church to introduce the pastor's topic instead <laughs> of special music. Yeah, and uh, and did that once a month until I had no idea that there were some people from a little organization called Lifeway um, that that all went to my church and they all put on conferences and they said, "Hey, can you write sketches for this conference?" And I went, "Uh, okay." And then they said, hey, while you're there, why don't you teach such and such that you were teaching at our church? And from there, people started saying, hey, could you come to our church? Could you come to our conference? I, you know, I'd love to say there was a method of, of, for me and how it happened, and I could write a book about it, but God <laughs> bounced me into his will. Oh, yeah. And that's what I tell pastors all the time. I tell guys that people say, man, I'd love to do what you do. And I go, it has its own drawbacks, too. When sure. people say they want to surrender to this kind of ministry, I say, first thing I want to tell you is don't do it. Run, run in the woods, run screaming into the woods, you know, <laughs> Yeah. because it is a difficult life Yeah. Um, at, to a certain extent. But I, there was really word of mouth did most of it and struggling at the very beginning to get the word out that you can come and, and that, that you're, you have to be incredibly biblically based and, and really want to meet the needs of the people that you're speaking in front of. And if people see your passion, word of mouth spreads, and God will spread that word for you. Absolutely. Um, it is, I can't believe, after all these years, you know, I, I'm not one of those guys that wakes up and goes, God, really, I get paid to do this. Yeah. I would do this in a second for free, to get to travel around and see the faces of people as you share, as you share truths that, you know, you get to distill over time. Do you have any philosophies or approaches to, to preaching or communication? If you maybe had a, a mission statement or a guiding principle, what might it be? Uh, simplicity, making the complex simple. And uh, the other is I, I, I want to be a pleasant prophet. I want to step on people's toes, but I want to use sponges on my feet to do it. Mm. And I, I use the ha-ha-ha ouch method. You know, I'm, I'm exegetical sometimes, I'm, I'm, but, but I'm, um, I believe that humor really does gain permission to speak into somebody's soul. If you get them laughing, you get them off their, off their guard. Um, so I do, uh, you know, I, I will I expound on the Word of God. I, 
I, I do my research, but then I want to pull from real life and I want to make people comfortable. I always say it's, it, you know, <laughs> I always tell audiences it's okay to laugh. I read the end of the book. We win. <laughs> yeah. You know, we have more reason to laugh than anyone. And people can come to Christ through tears and they can come to Christ through laughter as well. Because, you know, that whole abundant life thing, that's, that's joy, you know? Oh, absolutely. And I, I'm a big fan of stand-up comedians. I know lots of preachers are. And I think part of what we're drawn to is that we see that these folks are able to say incredibly profound things through the avenue of humor. And of course, some folks end up taking, you know, kind of the dark edge of truth or using it to cut other people down. You don't have to do that. There's, there's yeah. too many things that are funny in life, and in, 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 <laughs> especially in the church. Yeah. Um, so... I, I I am an evangelist part of the time, but I really I'm a teacher, and I love to 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 find that turn of phrase that will stick in someone's head, and open the word of God to them, and make that complex thing that that theologians use all the big words for, and make it simple. Where a theologian might say Christianity is best suited for best suited for the weakest vessels, I'm going to say God chooses goobers. Because <laughs> when goobers when goobers do something, then God gets all the glory. He did all the work. People go, man, that must be God because that's an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I would rather say that any day than God's. You know, dispensation in your life is to. I, I just think the world today is a little more, a little less formal than it used to be, and we need as speakers to be as well. Sure, and uh, Jesus Himself, uh, you know, he he certainly was was very well well crafted and very well thought through, but he used the imagery and the language of the people to reach them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I speak to students a lot when I travel as well. And I learned, you know, I started at, at, at a young age, and now I'm <clears throat> not as young as I used to be, child. <laughs> but um, I, I, I learned even with them, I don't have to be, in their world anymore. I went from Big Brother Brent Ministries, and this is advice to those speakers out there that, that think, well, I've got to dress like they do, and I've got to be like... I went from Big Brother Brent Ministry, where I was hopefully the cool big brother, and now I'm Uncle Brent. Yeah. And I don't have to know everything about their music and their world. I have to know enough about it to make fun of it. There you go. And that's a, that's a, a really important perspective. I used to work in college campus ministry, and that was one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was was to sort of think through what your relationship is. And, and for a certain period of time, you're right. the older brother, and then you're, you know, like you said, the young, hip uncle, and then you might become the father figure, and then there may be a time where you're a right. grandfather figure, and that doesn't make you irrelevant in the lives of young people. Yeah, one of, one of my favorite youth, youth ministers who I ever saw on the planet was... Um, was a, a, name, a guy named Richard Ross who, who started True Love Waits, actually out of his church. And great guy, but he was the old sage. And when he spoke, the students listened. But he had young guys and girls on staff with him as his interns, and they did all the stupid fun games and all that kind of stuff. But when he spoke, the students took out their Bibles and pens because they knew they were going to get wisdom from him. And man, that, that to me was just incredible. He, he transcended that, I don't have to be the cool hip, I don't have to shave both sides of my head, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, I, and I loved it. I just loved his style of ministry, so... Well, this past fall, you had a new book come out called Living for Another, More of Others, Less of You. Can you share with us what inspired you to write this book? 
a guy came in the office and sat down and said, um, Brent, this is happening in my life, and that's happening in my life, and I hate this, and this is happening in my job and my family. But, and I sat there, and I took notes, and I nodded, and I raised my eyebrow at the appropriate times and all those things. And finally, after about 30 minutes, I looked at him and said, man, your life, your life stinks. <laughs> and he went, what? I said, man, if I had to think about you all day long, I'd be depressed, too. And he, he said, Brent, you're not very good at this counseling thing. <laughs> I, said, but, I said, here's my point, dude. You don't know my life. And if I had to think about me all day long, I'd be depressed, too. Mm. So I don't. I think about others. And this t- stuck in my own head. I said, you know what? When I think about others, I'm not thinking about me. Sigmund Freud, a legend says that Sigmund Freud was asked one time at a psychiatric conference, what do you, you know, I'm depressed. What should I do? And his answer, though they thought he was going to say, oh, you need to, you know, go back into your childhood and redo these memories and da, 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 da. What he said was, he looked at him and said, you know what? Go out and find a bomb, buy dinner because the me monster is attacking you. Mm. And that's, that's really the approach. The first half of my ministry was teaching people their identity in Christ, knowing who you are, how you're made, how you work, how Satan comes against you, how he builds habit patterns in you, and how to win. That was almost the first 15 years of my ministry. But I've started to find that the last, this last part of my ministry has been saying, now that you know yourself, healing comes when you get over yourself and pull yourself out. Mm. And, and so I began to study Christ's philosophy on, you know, I didn't come into the world to be served, but to serve and pour my life out as a ransom for many. Well, if he's the template for our lives and, and we're grafted in this vine of Christ, then what's true about the vine is true about us. And so I, I just, I began to study this. And Jesus was asked one time what, he, 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 they said, you need something to eat. The goobers, the 12 goobers came to him and said, you need something to eat. Yeah. And he said, I have a food you know nothing about. I love words. I love words. So I looked up the word food there, and it, it literally meant, he didn't mean food. He, he didn't mean food. He meant what sustains me, satisfies, and fulfills me hmm. is to do the will of the Father and finish the work, those two things. So from that point of my study, I began to look at what is fulfilling, doing the will of the Father, and what is finishing the work. You know, Jesus said it is finished on the cross, right? Mm. But he only finished what he was supposed to do. Right. He said greater things than I did, you'll do. And so uh, David Platt uh, at a recent conference just said, um, uh, you know, that those words there, greater things, did not mean bigger and better. It meant bigger outreach you know, <laughs> to take this to the world. So I, I look at that and go, I had to look at what is the will of the Father? The will of the Father, what I'm finding, the will of the Father was the redemption of man. And to redeem doesn't just mean redemption from sin. It means to make the most of. Mm. I'm to be the fan, the biggest fan of everybody around me, to make the most of them. Yeah. And then the finished work, to, to do the will of God, the finished work is the glorification of God. And so I, I glorify God best when I'm redeeming man. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So we began, I, it actually led me to begin to look at the another's in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> And so I began to study the love one another, you know, forgive one another, submit to one another, bear one another's burdens, over 60 of them. And it really was quite a discovery for me. It was quite an amazing, fun discovery for me to see, to see how this unfolded because it, 
I, I, I started with the philosophy of pouring your life out. If you want to gain your life, you'll lose it. And I ended up on this journey of the another's. Um, literally, what does it mean to bear one of those burdens? So it became a rubber meets the road kind of book, you know? Yeah. And let me ask you this. Th- that is a message that is consistent uh, cover to cover in Scripture. Certainly, it is, it is extra clear in the New Testament. We in the church will fight for thousands of years over issues that are really only referenced once or twice in the Bible. And yet, this is something <laughs> yeah. that shows up uh, so many times that you can't miss it, and we all know it, and yet we still struggle to live it out. And so, you know, I'll give the the 12 disciples a little bit of a pass because it was the first time they were really hearing this, but why do we disciples 2,000 years later, with 2,000 years of church history, uh, and, and some of these Bible verses memorized or written on our mirrors or on a post-it note on our desk, why do we still struggle with it, do you think? <laughs> because self and sin are synonymous, and flesh is flesh. And, you know, in my flesh dwells no good thing. That's what Paul said, 13 books of the New Testament. If Paul couldn't tinker with his flesh and make it better, you and I aren't either. Mm. He would have been able to figure it out. And he said, in my flesh dwells no good thing. I I think self and sin are synonymous because whether it's self-loathing or self-esteem, it's self. And and the, the, the Bible says the flesh exalts itself. And so, I, 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 you know, as long as I walk this planet, I'm going to struggle with my flesh. And that's where this comes from, is we're always looking. I think all sin comes from either, either unbelief or wrong belief. Mm. Either I don't believe that, that God's strong enough to meet needs in my life, so I go out and fulfill them on my own. Or I, I have a wrong belief. I think that God doesn't want me to be happy. Yeah. Or he, his plan's not best for me. And so the me monster takes over, and I have to get my needs met my way. That's so true. And so that, I think that's where it comes from. We get it honest. I mean, you know, Adam and Eve, they were in, they were in Eden. Yeah. They had everything, and they wanted another one. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, they just wanted one more thing, just another one, a different one. It was something they didn't have beforehand. That's so true. That reminds me of uh, I, Louis C.K. I think he was on a night show one time, one of the evening shows, and he was saying, you know, we complain about the silliest things. I mean, think about it. We get ourselves in these metal tubes that fly through the air and can get us from one you know, end of the country to the other in just a couple of hours, and we're complaining about how salty the peanuts are. <laughs> we, we adjust, <laughs> yeah. you know, we adjust to the blessings we've received, we adjust to everything becomes normal and we still always want more. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it is, it is within our nature to, to, to constantly want something other than what we have. Mm. That's the, that's I, what I found was, and I'm not going to give the book away, but what I found was the word another is both the question and the answer. You know, we look for another thing in our lives to fulfill us. And fulfillment is found in one another. Yeah. <laughs> there's, the, there's the noun and the pronoun. I mean, there's the adjective and the pronoun. The adjective that says, that, that says I need another thing, and the pronoun says it's another person. Yeah, yeah. It's pouring my life out to others. That's, that's the, where the fulfillment comes from. 
Well, this this episode will come out shortly after New Year's, and no doubt our congregations are full of people making New Year's resolutions, thinking about self-improvement. Uh, gyms are signing up the people they know will never come back. Uh, and then we, as preachers, <laughs> may even be uh, you know, preaching self-help-styled sermon series right now. And so I was wondering if you could share with us why, in your view— uh, you've shared with it a little bit, but maybe distill it down. Why does self-help not work, whether it's sermons or books or programs, no matter how well-meaning they are? That's that word, self. We must get over ourselves. Our, our focus in everything that we do should be about others, about pouring ourselves, living water pouring forth from us. We should live lives as funnels, mm. not puddles. A puddle stagnates. That's self. We don't need any more education in the church. I implore I, I, I pastors, we don't need education. We need to lead people toward revelation. That only comes when you see God work in, through you, and around you in the lives of others. And that, that, that's my, I, I really, it is a passion of mine right now to see people. You know, I, I, I talk about healing, but I talk about the fact that God heals you too much. And you've got to scrape that excess off and give it out. Yeah. Even AA teaches that the last stage of healing is when people begin to take what they've learned and pour it into other people. That's what, if, if, I'm the, if he's the vine and I'm the branches, if I'm a branch in the vine, then what's true about the vine is true about me. And there's such a, a, a popular preaching style right now in some portions of the church where you just kind of walk verse by verse through the scriptures, and some of those preachers are, are good about application, but some of them are just so focused on just literally just teaching what does it say, what did it mean, what was the context, but they never get around to the application. And so you end up with people that can win a Bible trivia contest, but they don't know what to do the other six days of the week. Mm, yeah. We end up with people that are, are uh, they, they, they can intellectually ascend to Christ on Sunday, but they walk away immaculately unchanged. Mm. That's the way I put it. Yeah. They just, and, and I love when I teach, you know, when I go and speak at seminaries and things like that, and those guys come to me and they want to talk to me about, well, Brent, what are your views on premillennial dispensationism? <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And, and I'll go, brother, I, we can have this and spin around nothingness for about 30 minutes and flex your, your theological muscle and we'll walk away unchanged. But why don't we talk about your issues? Why don't we talk about where the rubber meets the road in your life? And that's really, at the end of each chapter of this book, I put a so what section and a now what section. Yeah. So what? How, so what do I do with this? How do I apply this to my life? Because I, I always say the Word of God is like toothpaste. If it stays in the tube, it does nothing. It's like sunscreen. Mm. Unless you apply it, it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> and reapply daily, you know. So I, I just say, you know, I don't know. I, 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 that is a real pet peeve of mine right now that we that we don't allow our congregations to get puffed up with knowledge. That we really do rubber meets the road. That's why I also have a a, a now what section of the book that says now what do I do with it this week with an, almost an assignment at the end of every chapter. Yeah. To see you flesh it out, and that's what we got to help people apply this thing. Well, a common analogy that uh, we hear a lot in life, but also in the church, is that that uh, safety speech from the airplane about get your mask on before you help others. Um, certainly, 
there is a place for self-reflection. Uh, and oh, yeah. is, can you talk to us about the fine line between healthy me time and healthy self-reflection and when you see it starting to become more self-centeredness? How, how do we find that line between taking care of ourselves and becoming self-centered? Well, that, in fact, the first chapter of the book, the first chapter is me first. And I believe in counseling. I really do. I believe in good, biblically sound counseling. But I always say we, we, should, we should delve into the shallows of ourselves just long enough to get to know myself, to get over myself. Mm. So uh, the balance comes, <laughs> the balance in everything comes in, in three words, walk in the Spirit. That's four words, I guess. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we're, you know, there's 19 verses on child rearing in the Bible, and there's 5,000 Christian books on child rearing. Why? <laughs> I think it's because God intended for us to walk in the Spirit. And balance comes when you hear God say that's enough. Mm. And it's time to move toward pouring yourself out. I really do believe that. Again, that's where the self-help industry came from is I I just think we're not really listening to God on a daily basis. You know, my prayer right now in my life is, God, you know, I got the whole difference between good and bad going on. I got that. I know the difference between good and evil in my life. I need to know the difference between better and best. Mm. And that can only come to the Spirit of God. You can't, you can't teach every topic. And churches need to stop demanding that of their pastor. It, it, we, we're, we've got babies in our churches because we're demanding that the pastor preach to meet every need of every person that walks in that room. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, that message didn't meet me, did, did, didn't meet me at all? Mm. Well, maybe it wasn't for you. It was for the person next to you. And if you came to the church full of what Christ was doing you in every week, you would come ready to serve instead of, I always say, suck the life out of the pastor and staff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of heads nodding out in our audience right now, I'm sure. <laughs> well, one, yeah. of my, one of my favorite parts of the book. This book is jam-packed with scripture. And so uh, if there are folks out there, you can use this as a basis for a sermon series. You can use it as a small group. Mm -hmm. You can use it as your personal devotion time. It'll function for all of those things, in part because it is so full of scripture. But one of my favorite uh, sections was when you went into depth a little bit about Barnabas. And again, without giving it away, can you share with us a little bit about uh, Mm. Barnabas and why you love him so much? He is the most influential disciple who ever walked the planet, and we don't have one word he ever said. I mean, come on, without him, we wouldn't have Paul. We always look at, in the back of every Bible, is are those maps, Paul's missionary journeys. Yeah. And here's Paul's first missionary journey. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Paul's first missionary journey wasn't his missionary journey. It was Barnabas's. <laughs> Barnabas was the treasure of most of those churches. No one knew Paul, and those that did thought he was going to kill them. But Barnabas risked his very reputation and said, I know you don't believe him, but believe me. He risked it all. He gave his entire life, not only his fortune, to fund the ministries of the, the, the original apostles. The Bible says the very, time, the very first time you see him, he's laying money at their feet. It's crazy. But he risked his reputation on Paul. Yeah. And then he turned around and did it again on John Mark. Yeah. We would not have 14 books of the New Testament. And I'm not going to give it away, but we wouldn't have the word Christian without him. Mm. The very word Christian comes from this man's ministry. And yet we don't have one word he ever said. If that's not the person in the background pouring his life out, 
And just to see that he wasn't a yes man and he was a strong guy, but he poured his life out to someone else. He said, I want you to be the biggest thing. You know, I, I believe people say, how does it, how did, how does this whole thing start? How do you, how do you start this thing? I, I just believe it starts with Philippians 2, 3. Just consider others. <laughs> consider others better than yourself. I, I believe that would solve the racism issues we're having in our nation mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I believe we walk in a room and we rank everybody. Everybody yeah. does yeah. it. You can say you don't and you're lying to yourself. You walk into a room and you rank who's the most important, who's the least important, who's the best looking, who's the least best looking, who's the richest, who's the poorest. You, we do it. The, the way to heal that, and an old pastor friend told me this, the way to heal that in yourself is just rank yourself at the bottom. Consider <laughs> others better than yourself. Yeah, yeah. I do not want equality in our nation. I want you to be better than me, and I want to be your biggest fan. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that this can be a word, too, for uh, maybe the pastors in our audience who are a little bit older or a little bit later in their career who might have associate pastors or might see people coming up in their church who have the gifting to preach. Um, you're you're going to feel the temptation to be the, the focus and to be the preacher because you might have senior pastor, your name might be on the sign. Uh, but following the footsteps of Barnabas, part of our responsibility is to bring those other people along to vouch for them and to give them the opportunities because you never know what they end up doing because of what you do for them. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we have a set of questions that we like to ask all of our guests. And the first one is, what is one of your most favorite or most challenging preaching experiences? Or you can share both. <laughs> um, I, I think my most challenging well, I, I, you're right. My most fun. I think those two are synonymous. Um, I, I found myself getting frustrated at a church uh, because the PowerPoint wasn't coming up mm. on the screen. Right? Yeah. You know that moment. Yeah. And that that the, they're not the the music it did the same thing. The PowerPoint was coming up. I was getting frustrated, and God brought me back to the most frustrating moment that I'd had just the week earlier, preaching in the middle of a village in Haiti, standing, screaming my guts out with no microphone, nothing, screaming the gospel of Jesus in the middle of a village, there are motorcycles going by, and I looked down, and the tr- absolute truth, there were two little naked babies running around me, and a tiny piglet was chewing on my shoe, and nothing distracted me. <laughs> and yet the PowerPoint was distracting me. Yeah. <laughs> and I, God went, get over yourself. Yeah. That's, That's pretty that great. That moment that I went, "Oh God, I love what I do. Thank you, Jesus." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, do you have a yeah. preference for uh, preaching Christmas Eve or Easter? Do I have a preference preaching yeah. Christmas Eve or Easter? Oh, I kind of like Easter. You know, I'm I'm, a, I'm an Easter. I, I'm I'm that that I just the idea of the resurrection. I, I love it. I've I've actually used to write and produce and, and direct Christmas musicals. And I could write an entire book on the fallacies and the hilariousness <laughs> moments of the Christmas musicals yeah. and the messages. We hung Jesus one time at the Grand Old Opry because he got in his harness wrong <laughs> at the Ascension. And, you know, I mean, there's all yeah. kinds of wonderful stories about, about, you know, Mary Magdalene falling in a hole on the stage and disappearing. You know, yeah. those things are wonderful. I have all those, <laughs> but um, I just love Easter. Well, who have been some of the most impactful preachers or non-preacher communicators in your life and why? Oh, a couple of unknown people that, that some people might know, but probably not. A man named Bob Warren. 
was my mentor. He was, he's the guy that looked at me. He was the most unlike me in the whole world. He was calm and <laughs> and peaceful and yeah. and a Kentucky redneck and I loved him and he looked at me one day because I was imitating him I was a young preacher and I was I could just hear myself imitating everything he did and he looked at me and said brother what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> he said God didn't call your imitation of me He wants you to be you for Him mm. and and I went you mean I can be a spaz <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and from that point on I was myself after that preaching. I, I, you know, I have my, you know, you have your usuals. I, I, if I could have the impact of a Billy Graham, it'd be amazing. Um, I, I love him. Have the joy of being able to distribute some of their materials. Mm-hmm. We're, the, we're that distrib- distribution point in Haiti. And just having the legacy that that man had mm-hmm. is still my, I don't know, is still my, my joy um, yeah. it, to see. And I love any pastor that uses humor. I just think that it it engages people. So I have a ton of those in my life. That's great. <laughs> that are part humorous. Well, uh, other than your your new book, which of course uh, folks should check out, and there'll be a link to it in the show notes. What other books, podcasts, or resources might you recommend to our audience? One of the things that I always send people that want to do missions with us, want to come to Haiti with us, or anything like that, I always send them when helping hurts by Steve Corbett and and, and Brian. Uh, yeah. Sickert, I believe that's his name. When Helping Hurts is, is one of my favorites um, because it is, it, it is talking about the, the issues and, and the problems that we've done with missions. That, that's a huge one. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm a big fan of, of Jim George. I, 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 I'm kind of old school. <laughs> yeah. And uh, The Man After God's Own Heart is, is, is still one that I, I find myself passing out to people. When they need it, David Platt, you know, great, great, great man of God, um, has wonderful resources out there for people. So yeah, those are, those are the guys that I, I, I kind of want to emulate. And you know, there's of course C.S. Lewis. Yeah, I'm reading. I'm, I'm actually sitting right now, looking next to my bed. Yeah, and there's always the stack that you want to read, right, the stack right. that you're yeah. supposed to read, the stack that someone gave you. And right now, mere Christianity is on top. So that's great. That's great. <laughs> Well, and lastly, if folks out there want to get in touch and say hi or follow your work, what's the best way for them to do that? They can go to brentgambrell.com, B-R-E-N-T-G-A-M-B-R-E-L-L.com, or they can go to Brent Gambrell, the Facebook page. Um, uh, they can get the book, Living for Another, at any Christian retailer right now. They can get it at you know, Amazon and, 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 and any of the Christian book distributors. Um, they all are carrying it right now, and we're really excited about what God's doing with it. Or they can call us direct at, at 615-331-4600. Awesome. And order it straight from our office. That sounds good. Well, Brent, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Oh, I loved it. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. 
If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they're live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.